Well, good morning, church family. And uh, good morning to those at home who are watching us online. Uh, I want to say we, we miss you and uh, we've got you in our hearts here as we uh, worship our great Savior with you. So there's a guy that some of you probably have followed um, named Chuck Norris. And he's got a loyal fan base. Um, back in 2005, Chuck Norris jokes started being passed around the internet by many of his fans and it kind of took off and, and became even beyond just his fans. But these are folks who really like Chuck Norris. And, and so they said things like, when Chuck Norris does a push-up, he isn't lifting himself up. He's pushing the earth down. Or even the dark is afraid of Chuck Norris. Or, you've probably heard this one before, maybe, once a cobra bit Chuck Norris's leg. After five days of excruciating pain, the cobra died. <laughs> or actually, maybe one of my favorites is, when the boogeyman goes to sleep every night, by the way, kids, there's no such thing as a boogeyman, but if he was around, when the boogeyman goes to sleep every night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. And there's a lot of these. Um, my, my wife is, is already shaking her head, looking at me like, come on. But I like this one too. <laughs> Chuck Norris, or sorry, stop. Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas. <laughs> Actually, I think it was underwear, but I changed it to pajamas for church. Well, why did I say all that? Um, I actually haven't seen every Chuck Norris movie ever made, okay? Uh, but here's, here's the thing. I think this might actually help us understand what's going on in the book of Hebrews, okay? Um, the author of Hebrews, we call Mystery Man, and if you're just joining us, we're, we're going through the book of Hebrews uh, together as a church, and we really have no idea who wrote it. And people who think they know don't have a clue. So we're calling him Mystery Man, all right? So when Mystery Man wrote the book of Hebrews, I think, I think it's almost like a, a Chuck Norris kind of thing going on here. He's saying, Jesus is it, right? He's saying, listen up. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than, than Moses. Jesus is greater than the whole Judaic system and the law and the whole Aaronic priesthood, all right? He's saying, Jesus is awesome. Except the difference is, of course, the Chuck Norris jokes are ridiculous, and the, and the Jesus stuff is all true, right? He's saying to, to a Jewish Hebrew audience, don't slide, don't slide back into, into Judaism. Keep your eyes on the real superhero here, Jesus. And, and so here's the argument this morning as he brings up Moses, all right? Uh, point number one, and if, if, if you've got a copy, of, if you've got a bulletin, uh, and I think we've emailed these out as well, or at least they're on our, on our website, uh, if you've got a copy of the listening guide here, point one is that Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. Mystery Man says, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So, so remember that there was no Old Testament hero who was greater or more sacred to the Hebrews than Moses. He was like their Chuck Norris, all right? Um, and, and so they, they considered him to be the most amazing human being to have ever lived. It was kind of like a combination, maybe, between our George Washington and Billy Graham, right? This great political 
and military and, and spiritual leader all rolled up into, into one. And, and so many Jews actually considered Moses to be greater than the angels even. All right. And so, I mean, you did not mess with Moses. He was even the ultimate apostle of the Old Testament. And that, that might kind of strike you strange because you're like, wait a minute. I, I thought apostles started in the New Testament. I didn't know that Old Testament, Old Testament had a, apostles. But let's think back about what, what that word means. The, the word apostle, the title apostle simply means sent one. And, and so God had chosen and, and sent Moses to deliver his people Israel. In, in Exodus 2, we read about how God preserved Moses from Pharaoh's genocide against Hebrew baby boys. And, and Moses grew up in, Mo, in, in Pharaoh's house as a, as a prince over Egypt even until he, he fled when he, when he came to realize that he was a, a Hebrew and, and the Hebrews were oppressed and had stood up for a guy and, and actually killed an Egyptian and, and, then, and then ended up having to flee into the, into the desert, into the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 3, we, we read about how God had revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, disclosing his divine name and had given him a, a holy calling to deliver his people from Pharaoh. And we, we read about all of the, the amazing signs that God did through Moses' staff. And then in Exodus 14, we, we read how God actually used Moses and his staff to divide the Red Sea and, and to deliver his people from the, from, from the army of Pharaoh. So Moses is just the great hero of the Old Testament. He's the deliverer. He's the apostle that sent one, sent to, to, to lead and save and, 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 and be a messenger. And so he was also a prophet. In fact, according to scripture, he was the greatest prophet. In, in Numbers chapter 12, God actually spoke to Aaron and Miriam and said in verse 6, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So Moses was the, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, he was also the ultimate lawgiver. Remember that God, God spoke through Moses. He, he gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law at Sinai. And even, even today, Western civilization honors Moses as the ultimate lawgiver. If you, if you go into the, the chamber of the House of Representatives at the Capitol building, you'll, you'll see a marble relief of Moses Above the, above the gallery, above the gallery doors, as the lawgiver, reminding our lawgivers today, those who write laws of this Old Testament lawgiver. Moses was also not only a lawgiver, but a historian. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the sacred heart of the Old Testament scriptures for the Jewish people. He wrote their history. And so Moses was just the man to the Jews. And it's, it's not hard to see that he was that ultimate Old Testament apostle 
But in a sense, he was also a priest, a mediator. He was actually of the tribe of, of Levi. And we, we may not think of Moses as a priest because God had actually designated his, his brother, Aaron, right, his older brother, to be the high priest. But throughout their, their journey together, you see that Aaron answers to Moses. And in, in several different places, we see Moses actually operating as a functional priest. Remember the battle where Moses had to keep his, his hands in the air, right? In a sense, interceding for the people. And it was actually Aaron helping lift Moses' arm in the air so that God's people would win the day. And when Moses came down from Sinai and the Jews were idolatrously worshiping the golden calf that sadly their high priest Aaron had, had built, an idolatrous calf, God relented in destroying the Jews because of Moses' intercession for them. And that's the job of a priest, to, to intercede to God for their people. And we read about that at the end of Exodus 32. It was Moses' intercession, not Aaron's, that saved the Jewish people from destruction. And so, Old Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce writes, It was his brother Aaron and not he, that is Moses, who was high priest of Israel, so far as title and investiture were concerned, but it was Moses and not Aaron who was Israel's true advocate with God. So when you read the, the end of the closing uh, bit of Deuteronomy, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, we read, There has not arisen a prophet in Israel since, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him. For all the signs and the wonders that the Lord did, or that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, in the sight of all Israel. So Moses was indeed a faithful servant in God's house. No doubt about that. So in no way does, does mystery man here diminish Moses. He honors Moses as a great and faithful servant in God's house. But here's the comparison. This is our second point this morning. Moses is great, but Jesus is the faithful son. He owns God's house. Moses had the opportunity to live in God's house. The son, that is Christ, owns it. So mystery man here tells, tells the Hebrews, yes, Moses is the man, but Jesus is far greater. And so in verse 1, he says, therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Moses was the, the great Jewish apostle, Jewish apostle, and you could, you could even say priest of the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, interestingly, Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that actually uses these two words to describe Jesus, high priest and apostle. This is actually the, the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called an apostle, but it really shouldn't surprise us because, again, the word apostle means sent one. We read in the book of John more than 10 times that, that Jesus was sent by God the Father. And so we see in this, in this book here 12 times that Jesus is alluded to as our high priest, and that's actually one of the key 
themes of Hebrew and remember Hebrews and remember that a, a, a high priest is one who advocates and intercedes to God for his people. One pastor wrote, Jesus is the high priest par excellence because he was perfectly human and perfectly divine. He knows both man and God. Thus, he is able to speak to men for God and to intercede to God for men. He is the one person through whom man comes to God and God to man. Well, in verse 2, we read about Christ as, as Mystery Man continues his thought. He writes, Who consider Jesus, right, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him? Who appointed him? Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now, the, 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 the word house here, it represents God's spiritual kingdom on earth, which is his people, his universal church, which is being constructed right now of Jews and Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and people group. And we, we read this in several places. Actually, when you, when you keep reading, you get to verse 6 here. We, we read, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Well, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul also and again defines the household of God as, quote, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, Moses was an important part of the house. He was a very influential member of God's people. He was a great leader, one of the greatest leaders. But what Mystery Man here is saying is, yes, G Moses is an important part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. And here we see a, a reference to, to his de deity. For, because he says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And then verse 5 and 6, we read, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now, interestingly here, that, that word servant to describe Moses, it's not the normal Greek word that we usually see in the New Testament for servant. That, that word is doulos, which you can translate a servant, or frankly, you could translate that a slave, okay? Somebody who uh, belongs to someone else and, 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 and their job is to serve. But, but here the word is actually therapon, very rare Greek word, which actually designates like a noble position that has been given designated authority. So maybe, maybe instead of servant, think like a, a squire, someone who, who, who actually has authority given to him by a lord. And so what we, what we read here is like the mystery man is saying, Moses may be the squire, but, but Jesus, he's the warrior king. You know, Moses is the guy holding the horse. Jesus is the one on it. So put your, put your mind, consider Jesus. 
And remember what God said about Moses in Numbers 12.7. He said, he is faithful in all my house. So God is saying, yes, Moses is my servant. He's my squire. He's got an important role in my house, which is the people of God. But Jesus owns that house. He's the son. And, and the house is his inheritance. And so we, we see this idiom of the house. And when you read it the first time, it might actually be a little bit confusing because the, the, the author, Mystery Man, kind of does a shift. All right? It's actually two idioms. The, the first idiom in verse 3 through 4 basically tells us that Jesus built the house and he owns it as its maker or its creator. This second idiom in verse 5 basically refers to the incarnation, I believe, because we see Jesus now in the house. All right? He, he's been incarnated. He's come into our life experience, but he owns it not only as its creator, but as its redeemer. And so here's the point, and it's simple, and it is Jesus is greater than Moses. Now I would like to start my Chuck Norris um, quotes again here about Jesus and Moses, but my wife told me last night it needed to, that, that I should probably stop there out of reverence for him. But let me just say this. I'm in the Moses fan club, okay? Um, I look forward to meeting him. I mean, I, I, I think Moses is the man, all right? But Jesus is the superstar. I look forward to worshiping him forever, for eternity. When we get to heaven, it's going to be awesome to see each other. And it's going to be awesome, to, it's going to, be awesome to, to meet some of these heroes of the faith. But man, we, what, the, the star attraction is Jesus Christ, right? He is our, our Savior and our Lord. And according to our text here, and frankly, the whole book of Hebrews, he's our hero. We need to see him as, as such. He is the, he's the superstar. And, and, and the truth is that Moses pointed to Jesus. We read in verse 5, he testified to the things that were to be spoken later. So let's think about the ways in which Moses pointed to Jesus with both his life and with his, his work. So Moses, as I mentioned earlier, was, was saved from genocide as a baby. And he grew up as a, a prince in Pharaoh's palace. But Jesus was saved from genocide as a baby as well. But he grew up as a refugee in Egypt. And then as a, as a peasant in the backwater of Galilee. God revealed his name to Moses at the burning bush. Well, God revealed his fatherhood of Jesus to John the Baptist, to his disciples, to the world at the Jordan River. Moses led the children of Israel through the Red Sea in the direction of the promised land. Well, Jesus leads the children of God through life and death into eternal life. Moses gave us God's law, but he was unable to keep it. Jesus fulfilled God's law, and then he gave himself to save us from its curse. Moses died and was buried by God. Interesting little point we see back there. Nobody knew where, no, to this day, nobody knows where Moses was buried. Most likely to keep the spot from being a shrine where people would wrongly worship Moses. So God himself buried Moses. But Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. Now, Al Mohler 
further demonstrates Christ superior over Moses. He wrote this. He wrote, Moses was a man. Christ is the God-man. Moses was a sinner judged for his sin. Sinless Christ is judged for the sins of his people. Moses turned the water of the Nile into blood. Christ changes water into wine. Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage to Egypt, but failed to lead them into the land of promise. Christ, the second Moses, leads his people out of bondage to sin and takes them all the way into the eschatological land of promise. End quote. Did you see how Moses, with his very life and his, and his work, pointed to Jesus Christ? Pastor Kent Hughes continues this thought. He, he points us to the supremacy of Jesus by writing this. He wrote, he faithfully, as Moses fulfilled, I'm sorry, not Moses, Jesus, he faithfully fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy. He faithfully and joyfully became incarnate, perfectly becoming a human in body, mind, and emotions. He faithfully submitted his omnis, his power, his presence, and his knowledge to the will of the Father. He faithfully underwent temptation and suffered terribly, never giving in. He faithfully went to Gethsemane. He faithfully yielded his hands to the nails. He faithfully became sin for us as wave after wave of the world's sin was poured over his sinless soul. He faithfully died for us. Mark 15. 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Such was the ministry of our faithful Apostolos, the sent one. But now, as our resurrected high priest, he faithfully intercedes with us, or for us, with a tender mercy, sensitized by his apostolic faithfulness. Moses was indeed a faithful apostle and high priest, but Jesus is infinitely supreme. End quote. Well, Moses was awesome. He, he was the man in the Old Testament. But his superhero is Jesus Christ. And he should be ours as well. One writer put it this way. He said, Moses points to Jesus with a huge arrow. And Jesus said such. In, in, in John 5, 46, he said to the Jews, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. See, all of that law points to Christ because the law shows us that we need a savior. And there were so many types of Christ throughout even the Pentateuch. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, we read that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It all points to him. So this brings us to our action point here, our third point. That is, Let's focus our gaze then, the gaze of our life, on Jesus and, and run our race of endurance. Not through our own strength, but by looking to him because he actually ran it for us, ahead of us. And you know, we need this now. More, more than ever, I believe, in our, in our fractured, toxic society. Uh, the church should be shining brightly right now. I mean, everybody's mad at everybody. And sadly, a lot of the anger over all kinds of issues has brought it, has, has come into the church. We're, we're way too divided over so many things. Well, what will pull us together? What will unify the people of God to be light in the world? 
Will it be agreement over what kind of medicines to use for COVID? No, it's got to be something far greater. And that's Christ. So let me invite you this morning as we, as we try to do a nice, long, slow approach landing here, all right, of the sermon. Let me invite you to do what Mystery Man tells us to do, and that is to consider Jesus. Let's do that together. Let's consider Jesus. Frankly, that should have been the sermon title. Consider Jesus. Let's go back to verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, that's how, we, how he sets it up. And I, I got to just stop there for a minute, okay? He, he's not saying, hey, perfect brothers and sisters, uh, great job attaining perfection of the law on your own. Great job being a, a super Christian, doing more good than bad. What, what, it, what he's doing here is he's continuing the theme from the last chapter, verse 11, in which he, he writes to those who were sanctified, made, those people who were made holy by the cross work of Jesus. Right? That's what he's saying. Jesus made us pure and holy. He, he actually gave us the very righteousness of God by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. And, and this is actually the only place in the whole Bible where we see this phrase, holy brothers and, and sisters. And I, I just love it. it. It means that God delights in us because of his grace. Not because of our merit, but he really does delight in you because of his grace. So remember that. Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe you're even facing discipline. And if that's the case, if you're facing discipline, remember that's, that's as a son or daughter if you're in Christ. It's not a discipline of wrath. It's a discipline of love, right? To, to help you consider Christ. He says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling. So if you're in Christ, he has given you a, a heavenly calling. What that means is you have a life focus. You have a, a passion that should give you purpose in your life. You are a, a seeker of that heavenly city that we read about in Hebrews eleven, sixteen, And so that, that should frame out what you do with your life, your passions, how you prioritize each day, your time, your resources. So do you have that? Do you have a heavenly calling? Are you running that race of, of faith? Or are you drifting this morning? Distracted by the sirens of wealth, power, maybe even, even fame. You know, I just want to be known for, for how I do my job. For those who are holy brothers, those who share a heavenly calling to, to know him, to make him known, running a race towards heaven, consider Jesus. Because it's important that we keep running. We're going to get to that here in a minute. Consider Jesus. Now this word consider, it, it means more than just, okay, stop and think for a moment. It actually means focus your attention on, on Jesus. Al Mohler wrote this. He said, considering Jesus should animate the intellectual patterns of all believers and recalibrate their biblical worldview. There should be no higher thought or crystallizing or clarifying thought in your life than Jesus Christ. Paul wrote the Colossians and he said, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind there. And you know what? To do this, it takes intentionality. It takes a measure of discipline. We have a lot of distractors in our lives. And and some of them we create ourselves. And it might be hard at first, honestly, to take time to carve out quiet space to just consider Christ. Don't let social media rule your life. Don't let the news take up the first part of your day. Start your day considering Jesus. And it will take intentionality. And it will take some discipline at first, especially if you're out of the habit pattern of stopping and creating quiet space to consider Jesus. But I promise you, it ends with delight. It ends with delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There is no greater or more worthy desire than Christ. And so as we, as we think about considering Jesus, let's look at the very last sentence of our, our text. Verse 6b. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What, what is your hope? Anyway, what is your ultimate hope? Is it more money? Is it greater experiences in this life? Is it the next vacation? Is it the esteem of other people? Are you trying to find significance and what people have to say about you? Is your, is your hope being right? Well, I'm concerned these days about the church and about postmodernism coming in the back door of even our church where people want to be right more than they really want to know what's true. We gotta, we gotta check ourselves. And how do you really know what's true? Which, which channel do you turn to? Which website do you go to for your news? Well, let me tell you where you start. The truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. We've got to start delighting in him. And we've got to hold fast. I hope your hope is ultimately in Christ and in him alone. That he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And you want to run that race such that when you cross that finish line, he's there greeting you, saying, well done good and faithful servant. I I hope that's your ultimate hope. And I hope you think about that a lot. Because we are called to persevere. And we see that even right here in this text. We are his house. That would be we Christians, right? we, We holy brothers who share a heavenly calling. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence. And our boasting in our hope. So, you know, there's a two-sided coin. You've heard me say this before if, if you've been here for a while. But true-sided, or, or sorry, true believers in Christ will persevere in faith. That's a promise. But there's also the other side of that coin. And that's the, that's the command. And that is persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. And, you know, I have to say this to you because statistically in this room... Some of you who hear my voice today are going to quit 
in your Christian race. And I pray that's not true. I don't want that to be true of you. You might grow up in a Christian family and you know all this stuff. And maybe you wanted to please your mom or your dad. And so you said, oh yes, of course I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. But you may get out there in a world, if, if this isn't you, if you're not if you're not following Jesus, if he's not your personal Lord and Savior and, and hero, if your heart doesn't really belong to him, you're going to drift away. And when the suffering comes and the storms come, if that anchor isn't on Christ, that, if that anchor is, is fixed on Christ, that storm's going to only pull you deeper into the rock. But if it's not, if it's just kind of, if that anchor of your soul is, is really somewhere else, or just kind of hang in there, your boat's just going to get, you're going to drift. And you may drift far, far away. And let me just tell you, you might be sitting here right now wishy-washy. You're like, you know what? I, on Sunday, I'll go to church and I'll do the God thing. Um, I'll confess my sins. I'll get a blank slate. It's kind of the good old-fashioned Southern Baptist theology, right? Um, not true. Every day belongs to Christ right? It is true if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if the idea is, I just kind of come on Sunday, uh, confess my stuff, get a blank slate so that I can go do what I want, be Lord of my own life the rest of the week, be, beware. Maybe you think later in life, after I've had my fun or lived life the way I want, you know, Frank Sinatra, my way, after I've done that, you know, when I get old, I'm going to take Jesus seriously. I'm going to get my act together and give him my heart. That's a very, very dangerous assumption to make. You know, the, the, the farther we drift, our, our hearts calcify and harden. And one of the big themes of the book of Hebrews is beware lest you drift away. Lest, lest your heart harden, in a sense, beyond the point of no return. Well, you say God is the one who calls us, who, who, who sanctifies us. God's the one who even gives us the faith to believe. That's right. And one of the ways he does it is to call to us today to repent and believe. And I'll tell you, I have to repent and believe every day. I don't get saved over every day. I only got saved once, that moment of first faith. But every day, I've got to give him my heart again. I've got to ask him to forgive me of my sins and to, and to, to help me consider Jesus, and that's the beauty of it. He helps us consider him. So hold fast. Let's hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's hold fast to the rock, to Jesus. And so we're exhorted here to endure. That's our theme as a church this year. That's really a key theme of Hebrews. And once again, we are exhorted to endure in confidence in him. And to, to even boast, to even boast about our hope of the gospel. Now, maybe you think of boasting in a negative light, all right? Maybe you've known a couple Texans who like to boast about the fish they caught, how big it was, you know, keeps getting bigger, or their shotgun or their dog or their truck. Um, but the truth is, all of us talk about the things that we're the most proud of. If you have an amazing experience, you, you, you share it with somebody, right? We talk about that, what we've, that which we value, that which we're proud of. So here's the question. Are you proud of Jesus Christ? Do you boast of Jesus? Does he come up in your conversations with people who may not know him? 
Does he come up regularly in your conversations with people who do? I, I would that we often talked of Christ in our, even our small talk. What he's done for us and how he's changed our week. Are you offended when others use his name as a swear word? I am. I, 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 I've, I can actually, I've heard a lot of cussing and uh, enough to where it doesn't bug me too much. But when I hear people take his name in vain, that bothers me. And I think there's a, an appropriate time and a humble way to say stop. Knock it off. Don't blaspheme the name of my hero, my savior. Would you like it if I blasphemed, you know, if I abused the name of somebody you, you know, somebody that you liked or trusted in or were related to? Don't abuse the name of my savior Jesus. Well, Paul writes in Gal- to the Galatians, he says, but far be it for me to boast except, and he's talking about himself, but except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus is my life, and I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to boast about him. Let's boast about him to one another. In fact, let's, let's encourage one another. And I think that's the idea here, even Christian on Christian, to encourage one another about Christ. I don't know if you've ever, and I think most of you have, been to a race Maybe you were at a marathon or maybe you were cheering on one of your family members in a, you know, at the, the fun run, right, over in Valparaiso, the 5K, right, or whatever in between, an Ironman or a, a Spartan race or the mud run. And, and so you, you see someone running, you see your family member running, what do you do? You cheer for them on. Maybe one of the things I like, and again, I haven't done a, like an Ironman, but I enjoy just, you know, doing a 5K or a little sprint try. One of the fun things about being a part of the group is people are cheering each other on, right? And, and there's this sense of keep running, don't give up. And that's what it's supposed to be like in the church. That's what we're all about here. This isn't a place to come and pretend to be a better runner or a better athlete or a, a more righteous person than you really are. It's a place to come and to be real with one another and to cheer each other on, pointing to the great hero, Jesus. We read in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and I'm gonna, I, I've just got to keep, I feel like so much of Hebrews just points in that direction. So I've got to keep reading it or speaking it or quoting it to you. But therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and, and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, as we run this race together, keep our eyes on Jesus and let us talk in a manner that, and live in a manner that would encourage each other to keep our eyes on, on Jesus. And I have to say that, that I'm encouraged when I look out at many of your lives. And, and, and it encourages me to keep running that race. You know, Grandma Angie, this last week, Angie Serrano, who many of you who have been around a while knew and loved, she, she, she finished her race this week. She is now in glory, Right? Uh, a full age, lived into her 90s. She is now with her Savior. And what an example she left for us, an example of hospitality and, and grace and, and love. I remember her coming over to our house seven years ago 
And, and basically spending the day cooking an awesome Puerto Rican dinner for us and involving the kids. And she actually brought her own pots and pans. I told her, Grandma Angel, we do have pots and pans, just so you know. But they weren't evidently good enough. So she brought hers. But what, a, what an example of just love for Jesus that, that, that shone from her. You know, I, I think of some of you in this church. Some of you may be home. Some of you are here. And you've lost a spouse. We have some widows here. We also have deployed spouses whose, whose husbands may be on the other side of the world, but who just continue in serving others. You know, it'd be easy to sit at home and, you know, watch soap operas or something. But instead, they put their energy, you put your energy into serving the body, serving others, volunteering for the heights. That, people are watching that. That example of faith inspires and encourages. I don't want to embarrass them. But I'm encouraged by my brother, Elder Barry. He's had a rough year. All right? I mean, he's been fighting cancer. He keeps saying it's prostate cancer. It's prostate cancer. <laughs> Mixes that up. Um, Dr. Joshua can explain details, I guess. But, um, you know, I would see Elder Barry out there after his radiation, getting radiated, in a you know, place I wouldn't want to get radiated. I'd see him on his bike riding around Blue Water Bay, you know. Then he falls off his house, uh, second story, you know, and, and, and uh, man, he's there in the, I, I go in there, he's there in the ER, you know, looking at his finger, and he had bigger problems with his finger, but this was going to get in the way of his Olympic lifting, he was afraid, so he kept talking about his finger. But you know what else he was talking about? He was talking about Christ. He was just, his heart, He's just an example of, of a man who exudes Christ. This week, he lost his mom. The very night on which she died, she died in the morning early. That night, he was at an elder meeting. He's never stopped serving our body. And that, that's an example to me. So brothers and sisters, let's keep setting examples in the race and encouraging each other on this race of perseverance. Well, Christian... Let me ask you this, as we think about Christ being greater than Chuck Norris, Christ being greater than Moses, you know, Chuck Norris and Moses both bow the knee before Jesus Christ. The question is, do you? Do you? Maybe you've never actually looked to Jesus. I urge you to call on him today in faith. To save you. And you know what? There's no magic formula of prayer. It's not like you just pray this exact formula and it's going to get you into the kingdom. You know what God looks for? He looks for faith. True repentance, which simply means to turn from yourself, from your own self-righteousness or your idols to him. And to believe, to trust in him. So just to call to him and say, save me. Ask him to save your soul. Now, Christian... Maybe you have done that. Maybe it's been a long time since you came into his family. But so here's the question as we think about, as we think about Moses and Christ being so much greater than Moses. And yet there being this draw to these Hebrew Christians to, to, to drift back to Moses instead of to Jesus. Here's the question. Is there anyone else or anything else in your life that you are looking to right now? Before Jesus. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our great superhero and our Savior 
and our King, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he laid down his life for us and rose triumphantly from the dead and is right now before your throne, interceding for us as our great high priest, cheering us on, reminding you of of his cross work and, and of our state of righteousness before you, but also praying for your spirit to help us in our weakness. Lord, we thank you for a hero like that. So Lord, I pray that this week we would keep our eyes on him as we run the race. I pray that we would all run that race. And Lord, if anybody is in this room or online right now watching, Lord, I pray that if they don't know you, today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself. And by your grace, they would have true faith in Christ and be born again. Lord, I pray that nothing and no one would take preeminence in our hearts over Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.